Morning. Merry Christmas. So my daughter informed us way back in October that she knew exactly what she wanted Santa to bring her for Christmas. A baby bucket. Just let that sit right there. We all know what a baby bucket is, right? Well-known child's toy. Yeah, we didn't know either. But lucky for us, Santa knows everything. Watch this. He knew. He sent me a baby bucket. So. Well, I hope you had a great Christmas celebrating. And uh, whether we like it or not, this thing called the Christmas season does come to an end at some point, doesn't it? And be honest now this morning, how many of us breathe a sigh of relief when we make it to December 26th? Because uh, that's a busy month, yeah. What I want to challenge us with this morning is the Bible does not see Christmas as an ending, but as a beginning. And the way that Christmas is placed in our calendar year, right near the end of the year, we're all looking forward to 2022, it's natural to get through the Christmas season and just do this collective exhale, like, we made it. And now we cruise into a new year that we hope is better than the last year. And the Bible knows nothing of this. The Bible doesn't speak of Christmas and then done, but Christmas as in, come on. So I came across this poem by a guy named Howard Thurman called The Work of Christmas. He wrote this in 1973. It's a good year. It's the year I was born. And Howard Thurman was a, a pastor. He was a theologian. And the poem, The Work of Christmas, goes like this. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. The work of Christmas. I wonder how that concept strikes you, to think of the work of Christmas. Because for a lot of us, the work of Christmas is what happens right around Thanksgiving time on all the way up to December 25th, am I right? Decorating the house, making food, scheduling parties, attending events, so that by the time you get to the 23rd, you're like, okay, come on, bring it on. And by the time you get to the morning of the 26th, you're like, we are done, exhausted done. And that's what we think about the work of Christmas. And for some of us, the work of Christmas extends now into this week because somehow you have to magically decide among you and your neighbors when you're going to turn your Christmas lights off and take them down. This is our house you see behind us here. And I love the work that goes into setting this up every year. And I positively hate the work involved in taking it down. So sometime that first week of January, I'm going to get out the boxes, I'm going to take everything down, and I am not looking forward to that part of the work of Christmas. And for some of us, the concept of the work of Christmas might even seem like blasphemy, 
Like it's talking about the work of salvation. What are you talking about? Being a Christian isn't work. But in the Bible, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, one of the things that he does after being tempted by Satan in the wilderness is he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, the town where he was raised. And on the Sabbath day, the Bible says, this is Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Is the microphone coming across really loud? Can you pull that down just a little bit? Thanks. It says in verse 16, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it is written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down because teaching would have been done from a seated position. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He's about to give the sermon now. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. That's the work of Christmas right there. Jesus is saying, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We don't know a lot about Jesus growing up years. We just know from the book of Matthew that they, the family fled to Egypt. They stayed there until he was after two years old. And then once Herod the Great had died, it was safe to come back. We know from the book of Luke that he traveled down to Jerusalem, as every good Jewish family would, three times a year, and that when he was 12, he accidentally got left behind, and the family got on the road behind and said, where's our son? And they went back into the temple, and there he was reasoning with the elders. And from that point on, it says that he went back home to Nazareth, and he was raised to be obedient to his parents, and then the Bible just goes silent. And we don't know anything about him as a teenager we don't know anything about him in his 20s. There's a legend that he traveled to India, but that's not biblically supported. The next thing that we know is that the gospel writers say his ministry began around the age of 30 years old. And here he is at around 30 years old, sitting in the synagogue and proclaiming, here I am. The work now begins with me. How many of you would consider that you work in a job or a, a line of work, your role at your job is something that you were born to do. How many of you would, would feel that way about your job? I am working in something I was born to do. Yeah. So for those of you, we sometimes say, I, am, I have made it my life's work, right? And so the work of you began the day that you were born. Not when you started the work, but the day that you were born, because if not for your birth and your presence on God's earth... The work that you're doing now, which is your life's work, would not happen. Am I right? And so in this light, the work of Christmas is the work of Christ. And, and if we're followers of Christ, if we are Christians, which means little Christs, imitators of Christ, just as my, my little son is a little me, and he patterns his behavior and actions after me, if we are little Christs following Christ, then the work of Christmas, which is the work of Christ, is the work of you and me, Christ followers. Now, we have to address a couple of hiccups in this. You say, one, well, there's, there's things that Jesus did that I could never do, and that's exactly right. 
There's part of the work of Christ and the role of Christ on the earth that were, were singularly unique to the Son of God. Only Jesus was present at the time of the creation, when the world and everything in it was created from nothing. Only Jesus could do that. And you're not expected to do that. Thank God. Am I right? Only Jesus wrote the physical laws that would govern the natural universe and did an amazing job. Only Jesus set earth exactly where it is, orbiting just the right distance from the sun, that we don't burn up, we don't freeze to death, and gravity holds us in place in orbit. Only Jesus did that, and only Jesus is expected to do that. Only Jesus could die for the sins of all humanity. You and I are not expected to do that. Only Jesus will come back one day as the rightful judge of the entire earth and judge all the living and the dead. And only Jesus will recreate the heavens and the earth. That's all God's work that you and I aren't expected to do. But there are things that we, we are expected to do. And as Christ followers, the work of Christ and Christmas is not optional and it's not an obligation it's an opportunity. Let me say that again. As Christ followers, the work of Christ is not optional, but it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. As in, we get to do these things. We get to play. You know that Jesus stood on a mountaintop before he was taken into heaven. And, and the last thing he said to his disciples was, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now I give it to you. I want you to go into all the world, and wherever you go, you're going to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you till the very end of the age. So to follow Christ is to follow his commands. It's to do what he did. And so I thought about how, how do we visually represent this. And I kind of came up with this. It's, it's called a Venn diagram with overlapping circles where on the one side, can you hit that slide? There's kind of his work, including things that only he could do and we can't do. And then on the other side, there's our work. And then there's points where overlap, where we are, we're doing the work of Jesus. But then I thought about it a little bit and I thought, no, no, no. Because if the work of Christ is not optional, but it's not an obligation, but it is an opportunity, then maybe the better picture is this one. That it's all his work, and he doesn't need us, but we get to play, and we get to participate with him, and the work that we do falls within the scope of the Lord of the universe. But then I thought about it a little more. And I thought, actually, maybe the next slide... Maybe that really is what's going on. Because maybe though I cooperate with the will of God and the purpose of Jesus' work in some ways, maybe there's other things about how I spend my time and what I do and what I produce and how I interact with other people that actually detracts from the way that Jesus wants me to go. And so then my, my, my goal and my mission as I live out my days on this earth is to move those circles closer and closer and closer together until there's perfect overlap. The work of Christmas. So that's his work and our work, but then, then let's talk about time. Because a lot of us don't have enough time. Remember, right? 
How many of us feel the, the angst and the anxiety that there's just not enough hours in the week? Yeah. So we go, okay, I, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm supposed to do the work of Christ, and there's this guy up here, and he oversees you know, youth and children, and he probably wants me to volunteer in his ministry, and that is not where I'm going this morning. I would never use an opportunity to address the church to uh, let you know about the great need that we have for people to invest in the next generation. I would never do that, except to say that we will never have enough time. Never. There's always one more meeting. There's always one more connection. There's always one more deal. There's always one more project. There's always one more email or text to respond to. Am I right? There's always more and more that we can produce, and it's not God's fault. My inability to draw lines and set boundaries in my schedule so that I constantly feel overwhelmed, so I never complete my to-do list for the week and just keep pushing things off again and again, is not God's fault. That is not God's fault. I am putting this on myself, and somehow... When I'm on the treadmill and the rat race that is modern American living, I've got to find a way and an opportunity to step out of that and touch the place which is timeless, which is what the Bible describes as eternity, because God's time is eternal. God's time and his, his time framework is infinite. Ours is finite. And so as humans, we live this, this angst like, Oh, time's going so fast. I'm running out of time. I want to do more, and I, I've got to get that done. And we see the calendar flipping over to 2022. And for some of us in this next year, there'll be some milestone birthdays happening in this next year. Am I right? That might be true for you. And you go, man, I'm moving on to the next decade. I got to get it done. I got to get it done. And then God is just sitting in a place called eternity. And you know what eternity is? Eternity isn't a long, 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 long time. Eternity is the place where there is no time. And so from God's vantage point, there's no deadlines, there's no pressure, there's no schedules, because he's infinite. And infinite doesn't mean like a lot of things to count. Infinite means when it comes to counting, it's absolutely uncountable. And there is something in you and in me that longs to touch eternity, that longs to be out from the deadline pressure, that longs to be out from the angst of like, I never have enough time, I'm always run down, I'm always tired, I should always do more. There's something in you and I that wants to touch eternity. The problem is we're humans and we're locked in time and being a human being, you're a lot of work. It takes a lot of work just to maintain you. For one thing, you gotta sleep about 25% to to 33% of the day. You're not available on call around the clock. You can't possibly do it. You have to take breaks to eat. You got to take breaks to use the bathroom. You got to take vacation a couple times a year. You got to take recreation. You have to have friends. I mean, what's that all about? And so you and I just run around with these built-in limitations because we are finite humans locked into a time system. And then there's God. And we want that. And you can imagine what that conversation was like between God the Father and Jesus, who was there from all eternity, right before the incarnation. Okay, son, I'm going to send you down to earth now to live among those humans, and and just know you're going to have to sleep sometimes. You have to take a break to eat three times a day. If you don't, your stomach's going to hurt. You're going to get angry. You're going to fall to temptation. So you got to take care of yourself. 
You wonder if the son scratched his head and was like, what am I in for here? But he didn't hold back. He dove right in. He became limited and bound by time and even able to hurt and suffer and, yes, ultimately die. And he did that willingly for you and for I. God entered our space so that we might enter his space. And if you've ever been in an imbalanced friendship, you ever had one of those where you do all the inviting and the other person never invites back? You ever been in one of those? And pretty soon you kind of get the vibe like they're, they're not into this friendship. It, it has nowhere to go. The friendship or the relationship between us and God is the same way. It's a two-way street. God limited himself and came into our limited world in order to pave a pathway for us to unlimitedness. And now we've got to spend our time in his world if we're going to do his work. So when we talk about time, we, we might say, I just don't have time. I don't have time to do the work of God. No, the truth is, as finite, limited human beings, you and I can't afford not to do the work of Christ. So I want to close this morning by, by suggesting, I mean, there's infinite ways in which we can do the work of Christ. You just read the New Testament and then do it. That was the spirit of our, our series this fall on James. Don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. But for you and I to, to do the work of Christmas, which is the work of Christ, which is the work of all Christ's followers, what could that possibly mean? I want to, I want to suggest five among millions of possible implications of this. One would be that you and I would practice righteousness. And here's what that word means. Whenever somebody designs or creates something, they create that thing for a purpose. And there's a, a set of, like, a window that you look at and you go, yep, that is being used for the purpose that it was created. If you're a, a writer of a song or a, um, an author of a play and you watch it perform on stage, you go, yep, they're getting, that's what, that's what I was picturing in my mind, and you are doing it exactly right, or no, 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 you are getting it way, way wrong. Okay, so think about God, the creator of everything, looking down on the earth from heaven, which Psalm 33 says he does, does. he watches all those who live on earth, and sometimes he sees things that he created lived out for their purpose, and other times he sees the things that he was created lived out according to their not purpose. And when we deliberately align ourselves, even though in the natural self we are drawn towards the not purpose, when we deliberately align ourselves with the purpose, it becomes easier and easier and easier to act that way in the future. And why do we do this? Because you're the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are also the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden, so that when those outside the Christian movement look on the inside, they go, man, those people love the world. Those people are people of integrity. Those people are people of truth. When those people make a commitment, I know 100% they're going to follow through. And that's the practice of righteousness over and over and over again, aligning our lives with the purposes for which God was created us and shunning the not purposes that God didn't create us for. 
Anybody have a diet plan or an eating regimen that took a vacation this last month? (laughs) Mine did. So we have Thanksgiving, then we have days and days of leftovers, and then all of a sudden sweets all over the house, neighbors dropping off stuff, and it's awesome. But it's not awesome at the same time. Because all my, my hunger and my appetite for good things in my body just goes completely out the door. But I have to tell you, this amazing thing happened this week. On Monday and Tuesday, I actually had a salad for lunch. <laughs> and I liked it. And I wanted it. And that's kind of like the practice of righteousness. It doesn't mean you're not going to be drawn to the wrong things anymore. It doesn't mean that, that you're going to be unable to sin. Wouldn't that be great? But it's like when I take my dog on a walk and he sees another dog, so we got the retractable leash, so we pull him in, pull him in, pull him in, and lock it. The more you practice righteousness in your life, the shorter and shorter that leash becomes. So that you might stray, but you're always going to come back to the owner and the leader, which is God. So practice righteousness. Here's another way to do the work of Christ. Practice mercy. Practice mercy. And mercy is... When we give to somebody else something they don't deserve or more than they deserve. And I want to give you two very practical uh, venues where you might work that out. One is to show mercy and compassion towards someone in your life you know who's suffering. Go to them. Be with them. And just develop the habit of being with someone who is suffering without fixing it. You don't have to fix it or quickly mend it. You just be there because it'll change your heart. Four days before Christmas last year, we lost my dad. My dad died up in North Dakota. And it was a hard time to lose a family member. It's always a hard time to lose a family member. Grateful for anybody who reached out in any way, even if it's with a small condolence, online, anything like that. Then I entered the Grief Share program. So grateful for what Grief Share does. Because you sit alongside once a week other people who are dealing with the loss of someone who they love. And about four months in, after my dad's death, I realized that we were all dealing with the same thing. You know, we live in such a fast culture. Everybody's just moving forward, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. And four months in, I wrote this. I said, grief keeps you anchored at a point in the past in a culture that knows no speed or direction, but fast forward. So here I was trying to process through the loss of my dad, and there was no future with him. He was was dead as of December 21st, 2020. Everything about me and my dad was in the past, and here I was reliving the past, stuck in the past, and everybody else had moved on and moved forward, which... We should. We need to move forward. But when you come alongside someone who's suffering, particularly someone who's grieving, see, you're stepping out of the fast-forward regimen, and you're just stepping into this timeless place and saying, hey, I got you. It's okay. I'm here for you. What do you need? So find someone in your life who's suffering and go be with them. You don't have to fix it. You just be with them, just like God is with us in our suffering. And the second practical example of showing mercy, if you want to develop mercy in your life, go spend time alongside someone who moves more slowly than you do. 
that might be a very elderly person or it might be a very small person. When my son asks me to play at home, his favorite thing to play now is tow truck. Daddy, will you play tow truck? Okay, all right. There's not much of a role for me to play in tow truck. He just wants me there. He designs the storyline. He makes all the sounds. He decides the route that the tow truck's going to drive, and it's always the same. Halfway across the room, the car has a flat tire. Tow truck, we need your help on Melrose. Come out. How tempting is it for me while he's engrossed in his play to get a notification? Oh, oh, okay, set meeting on calendar. But I have to resist that impulse to step into the time and space busy world of Mark Freestead and get down on my knees and put the phone away and just be with Grayson Freestead in this timeless place. See, when I play tow truck with him, it's so good for him, but it's even better for me. So you find someone who moves more slowly than you do. Spend some time with that person. It'll help you practice mercy. What about this? Feeding hungry people. Feeding hungry people is doing the work of Christ. And this church did an incredible job of stepping forward when we did food drives during the year of 2020. But the work continues. I mean, I don't know about you, but I eat every day, and I like to eat every day. And everybody needs to eat every day. And yet in California, one in seven people is going through what's called food insecurity. Food insecurity is where you're not, you're not sure or confident that you're going to have enough food to feed yourself and your family. One in seven. The need out there is huge. So we've got we, we to keep our pedal to the metal on that one. And we've got to continue to feed the hungry. Invest in other people for their good. Invest in somebody else. Develop a relationship with somebody else. No agenda on your own as to what you're going to get from them, but just being present for their good because that's what Jesus did. Yeah, when Jesus had that conversation with God about coming down and being a limited human being, as far as we know, he didn't kick and scream. He didn't throw up all kinds of objections. He didn't say, nah, send someone else like Moses did. He said, I'm there. I'm there. And that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. I'm there. So develop one of those in, uh, investment relationships in your life. There's one that I'm not going to say a lot about because it's going to be the subject of next week's message, and that is pursue peace. Next weekend, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about peace, both receiving the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding in our hearts, and then being a person of peace in the world. So much more to come next weekend on that one. But, but the last one I'm going to suggest, and again, the list of things that we might do that are in accordance with the work of Christ is infinite, but the last one I'm going to suggest is simply to believe, simply to believe. Jesus said in John 6, 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. So it means something this morning that you're here. Or if you're streaming this message online, it means something that you are tuning in to hear preaching because you've got a lot of other choices on a Sunday morning and during the week. And you're still here. And I don't know what this, this year was like for you, but I know every year is full of ups and downs, especially on the spiritual road. Some of you might have faced great discouragement this year. 
Some of you obeyed the Bible and you lived by faith, not by sight. Because if you had lived purely by sight in the physical realm of time and space and what you could see, you would have walked away from your faith. You would have given up. But you're here today, and that says something. It's work to believe the Bible. It's work to continue believing Jesus' promises. He's invisible to a world that just values what you can see, what you can measure, what you can accumulate. And we're talking about something that's immeasurable. And people go, oh, how nice for you. Oh, how good for you. You go have your time with Jesus. Yeah, we go have our time with Jesus. And we believe the one that he sent. And what you're doing is you're building up a spiritual reservoir within yourself that you're going to dip into in hard times or maybe even drain out of when when life gets really hard, when what you see is not measuring up to what you expected, and then that spiritual reservoir is there. So to do the work of Christmas, which is the work of Christ, which is the work of all Christ followers, includes believing and growing in your belief. Don't give up your faith. Lean into your faith this year. Develop your faith this year. It is transforming you in ways that you cannot see and cannot measure, but that will ultimately be seen on the day that Jesus visits us. That's what the Bible promises. And everybody's work will be laid bare. And we want our lives to honor God. Somebody said, I read somewhere earlier this month, it's really easy to worship the glorious Christ. It's really easy to sing praise songs at Christmas when we, when we think about the angels in the sky and, oh, the baby and the, the spotlight is shining on him. It's easy to worship the glorious Christ. But it's work to worship the everyday Christ, the one who got dirty, the one who got hungry, the one who, when the crowds are pressing in on him, said, we're going to go away and we're going to spend time with the Heavenly Father. The one who performed miracles, but also the one who was subject to human torture and pain and death. It can be hard to worship that Christ. But that's the work of Christmas. To not just believe the glorious parts of Christ, that's an important part of the package, but the human, everyday works of Christ that he calls you and I into, not as an option, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity. And the question is, are we in? Are you in? Are you in for the work of Christ in 2022? Because Ephesians chapter 2 calls you God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. That's his work. So he created you uniquely designed and uniquely uh, positioned. Nobody knows all the people you know. You play a unique role in your family. You play a unique role in your friendship group, in the business you work in. Nobody is exactly like you, you see? And so you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Yeah. What an opportunity that we're invited in to do the work of Christ. And so today isn't a nothing day. Today isn't the throwaway day. Today isn't, ah, Christmas, I'm done with you. 
Today's go time. Today the work of Christmas begins. Let's pray. So, Lord, I want to imagine how you celebrated Christmas this year. Were you excited as we were? Did you receive the praise of all your people around the globe on December 24th in church services and maybe even midnight masses and Sunday morning services or rather Saturday morning services on Christmas Day? Did you receive the praise of your people? And then did you say, ah, it's done? No, you didn't say that. You said, wow, billions of people around the world singing glory to the newborn king. And you were excited because once again, it's go time. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. Get out into the world, do the work of Jesus, and somehow be changed by that as we touch eternity. At our church, we call it transformed people transforming our world. And I pray for the individual doors of opportunity that present themselves and open themselves in the days, weeks, months, and this entire year to come. That everybody here who is walking the path of Jesus is uniquely situated for, what is that work that you have for us, God? We pray that we'd be on our knees seeking you, that you'd speak to us, that you'd guide us in to the works that you have that you created in advance for us to do. That when we look back at the end of a life well lived, you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that the fingerprints of God would be all over every interaction, every choice, every major life decision, and the minor life decisions. Thanks for inviting us into the work, Lord. Let it not depress us or make us weary. There's one more thing that we have to do. But, but let us see it as a great invitation to become like the people you created us to be. Lord, we love you. Strengthen our faith, we pray. We lift our voices to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.